Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Welcome. My name is Craig Thompson, the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us in worship today and uh, to gather together as we come together to celebrate the Lord. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. Let me give you a couple of announcements while you're turning. There is a Next Steps class this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So if you're visiting with us the first time, the fourth time, or the 150th time, and you'd like to know more about what it could look like to be a member at Malvern Hill, I'd love to meet with you this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Uh, we will, I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary, and then we'll figure out where we'll go from there. Where we end up uh, meeting actually depends on how many of y'all show up. So uh, even if you haven't reserved that spot, we'd love to have you. I've got plenty of room for you this afternoon, so at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, also, just want to remind everybody, next Sunday is going to be an, an important day in the life of our church as, uh, as we lay out some, uh, some visions for the future. So I hope that you'll make plans to be with us next Sunday morning. Also, you'll be praying ahead um, as, we, as we look at that. I'll be preaching to you from Nehemiah. And so we're going we're gonna to walk around our own walls figuratively just as Nehemiah examined the walls of Jerusalem. And we're going to consider how it is the Lord, Lord would have us to continue moving forward as a church body. All right, having said all those things, hopefully by now you've made it to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Just a reminder, we've been reading through God's Word together. I've been preaching through God's Word um, in order from Genesis. We're headed toward Revelation one day right now. We've made it into the book of 2 Chronicles. Next Sunday, as I mentioned, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. So um, that, that's where we are, where we found ourselves. And so this morning, we're in 2 and, and look, we, I, I, don't, I just want to congratulate you for making it through Chronicles, right? All of the names, all the names. We talked about that last Sunday, and we talked a little bit on Wednesday about how that's important. Uh, it's super important, but man, it can sometimes just be grueling, isn't it? Even, the, even important things in life aren't always easy, and making it through Chronicles is a bit of a challenge. So you did it. Good job. All right, if you have your Bibles, I hope you've made it now. Second Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 15. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Some of you get a little excited and stand early. Ted, I appreciate that, brother. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young man with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his princes. All these he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon whose, those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days it lay desolate. It kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us an understanding from your word this morning. 
God, help us to consider the danger of presuming upon your grace. Give us hearts to understand, ears to hear, Lord God. Help us to know that there is a day of judgment coming for all of us. God, may we be prepared because of what Christ has done on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you taking God's grace for granted? Here at the end of Chronicles, we find ourselves in a really bad spot. Since the days of Abraham, we know that God has set apart for himself a particular group of people, the the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a particular purpose. They would become the nation of Israel. God redeemed these people from Egypt with his strong hand. And in the wilderness outside of Egypt, God made them some promises and gave them some expectation. This is what we know of as the giving of the law that is primarily takes place at Mount Sinai. The promise that God gave was this. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will settle you in the land of promise and you will find rest from your enemies. The expectation from the Lord could be summed up this way. You will act like my people by living um, and, and worshiping Yahweh alone and by living according to his purposes. And then God gave Israel everything he promised. Through the time of the judges, they completed almost all the conquests of the promised land. Saul, though a bad king in many ways, did continue in the conquest there. He unified Israel under one king. David, of course, became the quintessential king of Israel, serving as prophet, priest, and king. The one that they had been longing for. Solomon's reign was the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. They lived in plenty and peace. And they had the opportunity to serve as a nation of priests to the world around them. And how do we know that? that was one of the things that God said, you will be a nation of priests. Do you know what happened during Solomon's reign? The world came to Israel. The world came to Israel. Show us this God whom you serve. But even before Solomon died, Solomon's heart longed for foreign gods, foreign women, and wealth. And then following Solomon's death, the nation was divided between his son Rehoboam and Jeroboam, another who would rise up to divide the kingdom. The nation was divided into the northern kingdom, that's Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. The ensuing history of God's people is the story of bad kings and of good kings. It's the story of the people volleying back and forth between faithfulness to the Lord and whoring after foreign gods. It's the story of the people running from the Lord and of God's prophets calling the people back to faithfulness and service. Unfortunately, by the time we reach the end of Second Chronicles, the situation has spiraled completely out of control. We discover that God's people have, become essential, uh, that have, have essentially presumed upon God's grace. They've presumed for far too long. The blessing and the privilege of God's grace has, has become assumed. No longer do they see God as powerful and graceful, but apparently as lenient and perhaps even impotent. David's reign began in 1010 B.C. and in 586 B.C. Jerusalem fell. Less than 500 years they went from the epitome of success, of prosperity, of God's blessing to captivity and destruction. So it is with the fall of Jerusalem and the final defeat of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar, that's how you say his name, in 586 that we find ourselves today. Well, we don't have time to dig into all the details of this event this morning. 
And I'll just be honest, I kind of had this three-hour sermon lined up, but I figured y'all wouldn't be able to sit through it, so we really hashed this thing down to something a little bit more digestible. But if y'all wanted, I just, just a couple of, you know, y'all just chant for me. Like, if y'all clap for me the way y'all clap for Luke, I would feel a lot more encouraged. <laughs> I have not, I mean, today, is, I'm, I'm, I'm 14-year anniversary, all the things I do for y'all. He left y'all, and then y'all clap for him. Half y'all don't even know who he is. Wish I hadn't bought your dinner Friday night. <laughs> we don't have time to dig into all, 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 all the, the details surrounding this event. But this morning, I, I want us to spend just a few minutes considering how it is that we can avoid this historical, or let me, let me, let me back up, avoid allowing this historical event to become a pattern for our own lives. How can we avoid taking God's grace for granted? You see, when life is good, it can be easy to assume, for instance, that the Lord just doesn't care. Or that the Lord is just not involved. Or perhaps the Lord isn't everything God claims to be. We do a lot of wrestling in our family. Since the time of the birth of my first child, 14 years ago until today, we wrestle a lot. There are, there are boys in our house, and I mean, it is, if those of you that have boys, you understand, they sound like they're coming through the ceiling all the time. But the fun thing about little kids, so, so dads, y'all can understand this, when they're, when they're really small, the wrestling is, is really just a little bit of, you know, we, we had, um, actually the tallest of the house the other day, so we were playing with Christopher a little bit, so he's two years old, and in wrestling with a two-year-old, you kind of push a little and they fall back on their, their diaper and they go, hee hee, you know, and, and you go, be careful, be gentle. By the time they get about four, it gets a little bit more crazy, they jump up on a couch and they like do a flying elbow onto your back as you're sitting there, and dads are still like, that's right, and, and, uh, you know, in my house, I can remember the time when all four of my kids would jump on me, and that was fun. They, they'd all jump, and, 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 and no big deal. As they get bigger, though, things get a little bit crazier, right? All of a sudden, they start to get a little bit bigger, a little bit more of them. We've got to go one-on-one. But the whole time, what can happen with, like, those six-, seven-, eight-year-old little kids, right? They can begin to think that they can whip their daddy. And it's really fun because they do it all the time. Now, now I'll just be honest. I'm a competitor enough. They never actually took me. I, I refuse to let it happen. We had to make sure, Angela's small, so we had to make sure that they knew that there was somebody in control. But some of y'all are softer than me, and so you let your kids like jump on you and pin you to the ground. Don't ever do that, dads. you got to make sure you maintain authority. But if you did do that, because like you had daughters and they made you a little bit weak, then just hear me say, they're going to begin to think one day they can take you. Some of you mamas have got daughters that think they can take you because they've done it all the time and they tickled you and you laugh. But then the day comes when things get a little bit too much and you have to remind your children that you're still in control. Because, and, and, and not in a mean kind of way, but that seven-year-old little boy that has jumped on his daddy over and over and over again, he begins to think, I can take him. I think I got this under control. And one day you walk into the bedroom unassuming and that child jumps off of a dresser in the dark and it hurts okay and and what you can't do is allow them to know that it hurts i remember the first time why it hurt me i still remember it he, i don't know why he was in my bedroom i was bent over picking up something off the floor and he just flying squirrel off the bed and just boom right on my back and i was like oh well i threw him slammed him stomped on his face 
escorted him out of the bedroom, shut the door, and then I looked at Angel and said, Honey, I am in pain. <laughs> you know, a lot of times we sort of treat the Lord the way that a four-year-old kid thinks about their parent. You know, they, they beat up Daddy three times last week, and they begin to believe that they actually can do this. We often presume upon God's grace because God has not acted. And we begin to believe that God can't act. How do we avoid taking God's grace for granted? The first thing this morning I want us to see is that we need to know God's word. Now before we get to the destruction and the downfall of Jerusalem, I want us to turn back. Turn back to Deuteronomy Chapter 28, beginning in verse 15. And I just want to just cherry-pick a few verses. Now, this, this little passage of Scripture has a title in many of your Bibles. And the title there says, Cure or Curses for Disobedience. And beginning in verse 15, it says this. But if, and, and remember, this is Deuteronomy. This is what God's giving to Israel after He has delivered them from Egypt. He says, these are my expectations, these are my blessings, but if you don't do them, this is what's going to happen. And so we begin to get there in verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall your basket be in, in, in your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come out or come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Verse 36. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. You shall become a whore, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. Uh, verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you. And pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. There shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. You see that? Because of the abundance of all things. What is it that draws our hearts away? What is it that the Lord warned would draw Israel's hearts away? The abundance of all things. God says, when I bless you in ways that you can't yet even imagine, the greatest, the greatest threat that will come with those blessings is that the abundance will actually cause you to be drawn away. Folks, we need to know God's Word. Israel and Judah, if they had known God's Word, shouldn't have been surprised to see God's judgment arrive. This was God's promise. God was only fulfilling His promise. He was doing exactly what He said He would do. How can you avoid taking God's grace for granted? Folks, know God's Word. That's the reason that we're reading through God's Word together as a church this year. Now look, if you're keeping up with us, it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Right? You're understanding a lot. There's a whole lot that you're kind of flying across the surface because we're reading it very fast. We're taking it at 30,000 feet. But we're doing that to get a, a big, broad picture of God's Word, to remind all of us of the importance of, of knowing all of God's Word. And when we know God's Word, when we commit God's Word to our heart and to our mind, 
then we begin to understand what the value of obedience is. We also understand the dangers of disobedience. And folks, there are dangers that accompany disobeying God's Word. We so often presume upon God's grace in our lives and the lives of those that we know because we do not, you ready for this, apply God's Word in the very particular situations of our lives. I'm not going to ask you, I almost asked you to raise your hands, but I'm not going to do that to you. How often, though, have you read something, even in the Bible, and thought, well, that applies really well to so-and-so? How many of you ever heard a sermon and looked across the sanctuary and thought, I hope she's listening? Y'all just incriminated yourselves back there. I never behaved that way. But seriously, how often? You know, that's the worst thing about preaching. The Lord does it to me before I ever get in front of y'all. Right? Y'all can sit in here with this big group and start saying, well, that applies to all those people. When you're all by yourself in the office, you ain't got nobody else to point a finger at. But so often we can run to God's Word or we can hear sermons, all those other things, and we can begin to think about how that applies over there. Or we can even begin to rationalize how that doesn't apply maybe to our specific situation or to our family or to those people that we know. Folks, we presume upon God's grace when we don't, uh, not only do we not know the Word, we don't apply the Word. Let me give you some specific examples of how we presume upon God's grace. We presume upon God's grace when we don't share the gospel. Because when we're not committed to sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, what we begin to assume is that people don't actually need to know Christ to experience salvation. We begin to assume, or at least to suggest, that there is a path that leads to salvation exclusive of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we don't share the gospel with the people that we know, with the people that we love, with the people that we encounter, we are essentially looking at those folks and saying, I'm sure that the Lord will figure out some other way, but the Lord has said that it is your and my responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations, to communicate the good news of Christ. Folks, we presume upon God's grace when we do not pursue Christ in private and personal ways. When I don't spend time alone in God's Word, when I don't spend time in prayer, when I don't consider how my, for instance, my entertainment choices are affecting my life, when I don't consider how the music choices in my life are affecting the way that I think, the way that I take every thought captive and commit it to Christ. We presume upon God's grace. How about this one? We presume upon God's grace when we expect our children to grow up to honor Christ, but we do not raise them according to God's word. And I know we go to meddling at that point. But folks, when we refuse to make Christ the most important thing in our children's lives, when we refuse to make something like church attendance a priority in their life, when we refuse to make God's Word a priority in our home, we cannot be surprised when our children grow up to not honor Christ, when they grow up to not love the Lord. It breaks my heart 
It breaks my heart to know that there, there are parents that come and they sit with me and they say, I don't know why my child's not following Jesus. But folks, when I can walk back and say, well, I can remember when this and this and this and this took place. And rather than pursuing Christ, rather than committing to Christ, you did all the other things. We presume upon God's grace and we go, well, they'll be all right. They'll be all right. I did the same thing. Well, by God's grace, you did the same thing and the Lord brought you through it. Do you want them to experience all of that? Heavens, no. We presume upon God's grace when you're ready for this. We live in our sin and reject salvation and expect to inherit heaven anyway. I'll be honest with you up front. This sermon today is for some folks who are probably inside of this building or watching from us from online at home who have lived for maybe days, months, weeks, or even years knowing that you are separated from Christ in your sin. But you continue to presume upon God's grace, expecting that God won't actually judge you for that sin. And so you've rejected the offer of salvation time and time again. Folks, in just a few minutes, I'm going to beg you to stop resisting Christ. To come to the Lord. Because you're presuming upon God's grace. You're assuming God's grace. You're taking God's grace for granted. Up to this point, He has been lenient with you. But He's calling you home. We take God's grace for granted. We don't know God's word. So I urge you this morning, know God's word. second thing you need to do is hear God's warnings. The grace of God is incredible. When I tell my kids to do something, I don't usually possess the necessary grace to repeatedly tell them and then to send others to warn them if they persist in their sin. Okay? As a matter of fact, just side note, for those... Let's just not get... I would encourage most parents, listen to me, I would encourage you to teach your children to listen to you and not to consistently do that because what you don't want is for them to consistently live in their rebellion to the Lord. All right? If you need warnings about why you should encourage them to obey, just look at what Israel did. Patterns of disobedience lead to full-scale rejection of authority. And when you reject authority, you reject the ultimate authority, and His name is Christ. Moving on. I don't possess the necessary grace. So when I say, dear children, please do these things, it would be wonderful to me if you cleaned your toilet. You know? I don't usually then say, I hope you clean that toilet like 16 times. And then send somebody to my house and go, hey, make sure to remind them how important it is that they clean their toilet. No, there's this weird thing in my life where I go, I told you to do it. I gave you the tools you needed to do it. I even purchased the stuff you needed to clean it with. The Lord has given you the strength to clean it. And we even gave you soap to wash your hands when it was all said and done, you know? I mean, this is where, as parents, but the Lord is so patient and gracious and kind, right? So Israel lives in their sin, and God is patient, incredibly glorious, patient, gloriously patient, kind, and gracious. His people are living on the fat of his land. They're living off the successes granted by his power. Yet when he sends his prophets to warn them, because that's what he does, They're sinning in His abundance. Do you understand that? They're taking all the gifts that God gave to them. And they're saying, well, this is great. 
Let's not give him any praise for all the things that he's given to us. Instead, we're going to reject him. As a matter of fact, here's what we're going to do to really thumb our nose at the Lord. He gave us all this, but rather than give him glory for it, we're going to take one of the trees that he gave us in this beautiful land. We're going to cut it down. We're going to warm ourselves with half of it. The other part we're going to carve into an image, and this just to make sure that... Yahweh understands where our heart is. We're going to take his tree, we're going to carve it into an image, and then we're going to bow down and worship it, and we're going to teach our children to do the same thing. Listen, I don't know how y'all run your houses, but if I give my kids a gift and they say, oh, hey, Dad, we're going to take your gift, and we're going to actually use it against you, and we're going to turn our... I don't look at that and go, oh, my dear children, let me bring you back in. But God is so much better than me. So much more patient, generous, and kind. And so they do all of these things. And what does the Lord do? The Lord sends his prophets. And folks, the prophets get a bad name because they're rough guys, okay? Right? They, 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 they run around naked half the time. They have to cook their food over piles of dung. I mean, you've got all of this mess that's going on. Right? What, what are you wearing today? Well, I've got this loincloth that I buried in the wall. I dug it out. It's in kind of a bad spot. But I'm going to put it on. I'm going to run around to show y'all what's coming you go into captivity. Listen, the, the prophets get a bad name from everybody around. But the only reason they got this bad name is because they were obedient to the Lord. And they're a sideshow for the world to say, God says, turn. God says, repent. And over and over, God sends his people. And what do they do? The Bible says they do this right there in verse 15. Or verse 16, rather. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. What do they do? They, they mock them. They scoff at them. But don't miss this. The Lord says that when they mocked his prophets, they despised his word. His word. I had this conversation with a young kid not too long ago. Why is sin against God. If I don't do what you tell me to do, why is that a sin against God? And we had to have a conversation about how, well, well, the Lord says that, for instance, you're to obey your parents. And so if you choose to not obey your parents, you've sinned against your parents, but you've also sinned against the Lord because the Lord said that was His commandment. So when the prophets came and the people mocked them and they derided them and they did things like lock them in the stocks or throw them into cisterns and they, they, they left them for dead, when they did all of those things, the Lord says you are actually despising my word. And yet God didn't destroy him from the outset, did he? He continued to send messenger after messenger after messenger after messenger. Repent, repent, repent. The day of the Lord is at hand. Repent. Remember the God of your salvation. Repent. Folks, what are the reminders that God has sent your way? See, this is what God did to Israel, and Israel refused to hear. But what are the reminders that God in His grace has sent your way? Has He sent preachers? When's the last time that you left a sermon and thought, man, He preached that sermon right at me? Do you want to know why I sometimes preach a sermon right at you? Do you know I don't know what's going on in your life? Do you know that the Lord so orchestrates the events of your life and the words that fall out of my mouth 
that the Lord so works in the power of his Holy Spirit that you show up in his providential time into a place where the word is going to be preached and God has so orchestrated that sermon so that it shoots right into your heart. And when that happens, how many of you have walked down and said, that was right at me and then forgot all about it? Do you know that in that moment, you didn't hurt me? Because I didn't even know. But you despised the word of the Lord when you rejected the conviction that God brought into your life. When the Lord brought conviction, when you recognized your sin, and rather than confess it and repent and turn away, you continued to embrace your sin. You despised the word of the Lord. So the Lord sent preachers. He sent teachers, hasn't he? When's, when's the last time maybe you sat in a life group class? And something took place, and, and somebody there, and it, look, it's not always your leader, is it? Somebody, sometimes it's just somebody else in the class that said something. God used them to, to speak to you. And you rejected it. Parents, how about this? When's the last time that the Lord sent a teacher into your child's life to give you warnings about the path that your child was heading down, and you rejected that word? What are the reminders that God sent you away? How about just a random comment every once in a while? Is there somebody ever walked past you in a hallway somewhere and said something? You went, where'd that come from? Where did, has somebody ever said something in passing and it just hits you like a ton of bricks? I've had to call people in the past and say, you have no idea what you meant to me. But when you said that to me, man, you turned my life around. You know what's so funny? They don't, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Con- well, let me walk you through. We were, we were at lunch, and we are doing this and this, and they go, okay, if you say so, I believe you. Folks, this is why, just as a side note, if the Lord puts something on your heart, say it. Have the courage to say it. You just don't ever know when the Lord's put you into a place to speak a particular word to a particular person at a particular time. Random comments. Any of you ever had a run-in with the law that was God's way of getting your attention? Have you? Some of you have. The Lord did something. The Lord allowed that to happen. And it got your attention. How do you respond when God sends you a reminder? Do you scoff? Do you grow angry and despise? Parents, when someone else rebukes your child, how do you respond? I, I, I mean, I'm, like, I'm being serious. I mean... The temptation is for, there's this, this, what's the word I want to use? There's this, this rebellion that grows up within us. Who are you to speak to my kid? Now, I don't want you to speak to my child or rebuke my child when my child is not wrong. But if they're wrong, then I want you to come and talk to me. Tell me what you see, the concerns that you have. Parents, are you an open book that says, tell me when you have concerns for my children? Are you a closed book that says, I don't want to hear what you have to say? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When we close ourselves off to all those who would come and offer warnings to us and rebukes to us and offer words of concern to us, when we close ourselves off, we open ourselves up not to God's grace. We close ourselves off to God's grace in that moment. We open ourselves up to God's judgment. We open ourselves up to God's rebuke. Folks, we need... To not just hear God's warning, we need to heed God's warning. 
And then finally this morning, we need to expect God to act. Because God is patient and kind, we can become complacent in our sin. The Bible teaches us right here, therefore he brought up from, against them the king of the Chaldeans. I, I'm just going to offer a suggestion. The fact that Israel, or this is the, the southern kingdom, this is Judah at this point, this God's people in Jerusalem, the fact that they continued to live in active rebellion against the Lord suggests to me that they did not actually believe that God was going to act. When I was 15 years old, 15 or 16, I got pulled over for drunk driving. I wasn't drunk, um, but I got pulled over. I was driving uh, down a little back road, uh, left, just left a basketball game my brother had played in. He was in the truck with me, and uh, we're, we're driving down this little curvy back road, and I crossed the center line. Well, I crossed the center line because, you know, listen, if you're under the age of 20, I'm going to tell you a story about something you all don't know, but there are these things called CDs, Okay. They're big, shiny things. And once upon a time, we didn't carry our entire music collection in our pocket. Once upon a time, we had these giant binders that were filled with CDs. That stands for compact disc. And for those of you who were too young to appreciate this, they were called compact discs because they were smaller than everything else. Y'all have no idea how spoiled y'all are. But anyway, so I had my gigantic CD collection laid up on the dash of my truck. And as I made that left-hand turn between Bowling Springs and Chesney, South Carolina, for those of you who know where that's at, Adam, talking to you, um, that CD case slid. And when that CD case slid, I grabbed it. And when I grabbed it, I swerved. And when I swerved, blue lights came on behind me. And the worst part was my daddy was in front of me. When I say in front, I mean right in front. I was following him home. So I eased on over, and up there in front of me, my dad eased on over, and I said, boy, we ain't going to get out of this one. That officer, since he thought I was drunk, he shined his big light into my vehicle and told me to put my hands up, and I waited patiently for that officer to arrive. And he said, son, can I get you to step out of the truck? And I said, yes, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. Son, where you been? I said, I've been to church. I have been to church. We had a church league basketball game. You can look at him. He's in shorts and a t-shirt. He stinks. We've been to church. He said, well, son, you realize you crossed the center line? I said, yes, sir. I re realize everything. He said, I didn't want to pull you over. I'm on my way to a call. When you crossed that center line, I didn't have a choice. He said, why did you cross that line? I said, well, my CD case slipped. And I said these words. I said, but I'll be honest with you. If I'd known you were behind me, I'd have been a lot more careful. That state trooper looked at me. He said, son, you need to always drive like I'm behind you. And listen here, some of y'all that are law enforcement, y'all pull up behind me right now, and my heart just about explodes. Y'all need to go on around. I'll slow down so y'all can pass. Y'all pull up behind me. I slow down because I want y'all to pass me. I'm done. I don't want no part of it. Well, you know, the reason that I crossed that double yellow line that night in the dark was because I didn't really believe there was anybody around me to police my actions. I didn't honestly believe, and I'm going to tell you something. Had I known that that guy was behind me, I would have been driving that 1983 Ford Ranger at 10 and 2, like I was supposed to. I would have been running 36 miles an hour, or 34, because the speed limit was 35. And I figure one over one under is just enough to let him think that I'm not paying him no attention. But I didn't think that there was going to be any consequence for my actions. 
The Bible warns us that when Christ returns, that he's going to come in an unanticipated, unexpected kind of way. That we're going to be going all about our normal, ordinary, regular, daily business. And the Lord shows up. Everything is going to be interrupted. Folks, we need to live our lives with the expectation that God not only can, but that He will act. The citizens of Jerusalem, the nation of Judah, and all of God's people were going on about their regular business as if God was not really paying them any attention. In the founding of the American colonies, the founding of, of, of the United States, many of our founding fathers are what we know as, as deists. And what, what that means is that they were the kind of the people who believed that God existed, but they believed that God existed in sort of a, a far-off kind of way. It was a really comfortable way to believe that God existed. It's a very safe sort of way to believe in God's existence. Because they believed that God sort of wound everything up and set the world into being. And then he just kind of took his hands off. That's why Thomas Jefferson created his, his Bible that didn't have any miracles in it. Because he said, there, there's got to be a God that did all this. But that God's not, not interested in the daily affairs of our lives. Well, that's, a, that's a safe, comfortable way to say. That's a way to be able to say, yeah, I, I believe in God. But the reality is that when you, when you behave that way, when you believe that way, you believe in God, but you don't actually believe that God is going to to do anything folks if you want to stop presuming upon God's grace let me just tell you you've got to live your life with an expectation that God will act just because God hasn't acted yet does not mean that God cannot act or will not act when we expect God to act we remove any temptation to presume upon God's grace because I live my life with an absolute confidence that he is in control the Bible says therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who is this he he says he gave them into all his hand. Who is this he? Do you understand that in other places the Bible teaches us that God called for the king of the Chaldeans to come? This is Nebuchadnezzar invading God's people. God sent them there as God's judgment against God's people. Now, folks, we're going to get around next Sunday and see that God was not finished. That even in captivity, God had not forgotten His people. God had not forgotten His promise. But folks, this morning, I just want to ask you this question. Are you taking God's grace for granted? See, this sermon is for anyone who has heard the word preached once or twice or a hundred times and has decided that it can wait. This sermon is for anyone who has heard God's warnings and has believed that perhaps it wasn't real or that God would change the rules just for them. This word coming to you, this, this sermon 
I pray is a warning and, and, and a word of encouragement to you to know God's word. To actually know it. To hear God's warnings. And not just to hear them, but to heed them. And to expect God to act. Israel and Judah were warned repeatedly. But they refused to believe that judgment could come to them. Please listen. Turn to the Lord while there is time. Come to the Lord while there is time. It doesn't seem to matter what the calamity is, what the tragedy is, what the personal or corporate or even national tragedy is that occurs. The refrain always seems to be the same. I didn't think it could happen to me. I didn't think it would happen. I didn't think it would happen to my children. God's word says, come while there is time. See, the promise of God's word is this. Repent, believe, God will save you. That's the promise of God's word. And it can be easy for us to jump into the Old Testament and to miss this. That all of that is pointing us ultimately toward Christ. Toward that moment in history when Jesus would be nailed to a cross and would die for your sins and mine. You see, the Lord has brought you to this place today to hear this message. That God loves you and God has a plan for you to be saved. But He's also brought you to this place to hear this message that the time is short. The time is now. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Right now, the potential exists that for some of you that desperately need to hear this message, that you've already twisted around in your brain to figure out a way that it doesn't actually apply to you. That it applies to somebody else or it applies to that person over there. But I'm telling you, God is speaking to you today because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the Lord has laid up for you and for me a promise of salvation that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Israel continued to persist, persist in her sin because she refused to believe that God would act. I'm here to tell you today that God will act in judgment, but I'm also here to tell you, and I'm really excited about it, that He's already acted in salvation. And so the hope you have today is that Christ died for your sins. Christ died to set you free. That no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, it doesn't, eat, it doesn't even matter why you're here today. It doesn't matter if you're here to make your mama happy. 
It doesn't matter if you're here to satisfy somebody else. Do you know that God uses all those things to bring you into this place so that you could hear me say that God loves you? God loves you, and he's calling you out of your sin and out of your shame, and he's calling you into his glorious light where you might be saved. And so in just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when we do, I want to invite you. As a matter of fact, I don't just want to invite you. I want to urge you to listen. And I want to urge you to respond. If you've been living your life assuming that God wouldn't act, if you've been living your life hearing, and I think this is probably the one that makes me the most sad, Hearing God's warnings and refusing to heed God's warnings. Today is the day that you can be saved. You say, Craig, I don't even know what that looks like. Listen, that's okay. We want to walk with you and to help you understand what it looks like to make a commitment to Christ and to be saved. Some of you, can I just be honest? We, we had Mother's Day just, just last week. Some of you parents need to heed the warnings that God's Word has to say about the way that you're raising your children. Because the truth of the matter is, you're not raising them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. You're raising them in whatever way they want to be. And today, you need to find yourself on your face before the Lord, praying for forgiveness and asking that God would help you to set your house in order. God is gracious and kind and merciful. But do you know that there is no expectation that He would extend to you even one more opportunity? In His grace, He's come before you today. He's given you hope and a future. And His name is Jesus Christ. And so this morning I urge, I beg, I plead. When we stand and we sing in just a minute, that rather than pushing aside those warnings, rather than ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit, rather than convincing yourself that this sermon is for somebody else, would you today, would you today say, Lord God, is that for me? And if you know that it is, would you today say, Lord God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't know what it, what it means exactly. Lord, even I don't know what the future holds, God, I'm going to be obedient. Lord God, I want to be saved today. Lord God, I want to be changed today. Lord God, I'm going to trust you to show me how to raise my children. I'm going to trust you, Lord God. I'm going to trust you, Lord God, to show me why it's important that I get over myself and my hurt, my hurt feelings. I commit to your church. I watch you, Lord God, work to bring about healing. I don't know all of your stories, but I know this. The answer to all of your problems is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he died to save you from your sins. We're going to sing, Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Can I tell you this? Alone as you may feel and dead on the inside as it may seem, Jesus Christ brings light, hope, and joy. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would move among us. That you would be at work. Lord God, that today... For somebody in this sanctuary, perhaps even somebody watching online at home, that today, Lord God, that they would stop making excuses. Lord God, that they would stop 
assuming your grace, presuming your grace, taking your grace for granted. And today, Lord God, they would fall down at your feet and experience the mercy, the grace, and the forgiveness, the hope, and the joy that's found in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. And if the Lord's working in your life, would you come? I'd love to pray with you. Perhaps you'd like to come pray at this altar this morning. However the Lord's working in your life, would you be obedient? Would you step out and trust that if He's called you to act, He stands ready to catch you? Let's sing.